So we reach the end of the book of James, and he asks the question that we most need to ask right now, and that is, how can a working faith help you when times are hard? So the Gallup survey, World Happiness Report, recently found that negative feelings are on the rise all over the world, and the U.S. is, quotes, suffering an epidemic as worry Sadness and anger have risen by 27%. This report, by the way, was published in March. So I hardly imagine the last eight months have improved any of these statistics at all. Maybe as a result of the pandemic or just the result of a fallen world, you're facing an impossible decision right now, like having to fire someone at work or take a cut for yourself. Maybe there's a relative that you cannot see, Uh, or maybe there's one you cannot avoid. Maybe that's going on in your life. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're recently bereaved. Maybe for you there's a diagnosis that nobody knows about, or a secret life that you want to confess. And it could be that there's no one really big, dramatic thing, and in fact there's just myriad things that have overwhelmed you together. And When you're alone in bed at night, these things churn around in your head and they keep you awake and you admit that you are feeling afraid. Are you trapped in suffering? We went to see a pain specialist in the UK shortly before we emigrated for my wife, Kat, who lives with a permanent condition. We waited about a year and a half to see this man and we pinned an awful lot of hope on him. And... The experience of going to see this consultant was, was terrible. He barely listened to her at all. He spoke mostly at her, mostly in gibberish, mostly about self-help. He told her to smile and said, if you smile, then you'll put yourself in a loop and the pain will go away. And he told her to think herself better and said, really, it was because she was weak-minded that she was suffering like this. And I stopped him after a while and I said to him, is there anything you can actually do for my wife? And there was no answer at all, so we left. And he was so useless, the nurse followed us out of the consultation room and apologized to us for his behavior afterwards. We were trapped. No one could help. If that is you, if you're trapped in suffering of any kind, no one can help you. And self-help doesn't work. There is some very good news implicit within verse 13 of chapter 5 of James's epistle. Is anyone among you suffering? Here's the good news. James would never have written this if no one ever were. And James would never have written this if there were no hope about it. The good news is implicit in the question. But first, maybe in your suffering you've reached out to someone at church for some help. And they listened, unlike that consultant. And then they said these four little words, I'll pray for you. Be completely honest with me. How did it feel when you heard those words? Were you filled with hope? Or were you disappointed? Did you feel like you just had the spiritual equivalent of a consultation with an NHS pain specialist? Did you think, is that all you can do for me? 
If so, many Christians have thought like that before. And I was looking for this simple but erudite quote for you. We have a lot of books in our family. They're all over the place. I can't really keep track of who said what. And so I called Kat, my wife. I said, love, which of those theologians and great scholars and pastors was it that said something like, prayer is never the least we can do. It's always the most we can do. She thought for a second. She said, I think you heard it on (laughs) K-Love. Literally the cheesiest, lightweight, pop bubblegum theology radio station in the world. And now you all know that I listen to it. In my defense, it is both positive and encouraging. And it's, co- thank you. it's correct as well. Prayer is, in fact, the most we can do. Why do I say that? Well, do you see in verse 14, it does help to have Scripture open in front of you, how the prayer is done in the name of the Lord. And then verse 15, how it's the Lord who answers the prayer. So it's not really prayer itself that is in focus here. Neither is it really the prayer. It is, in fact, God who is in focus. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. He is supreme. He is in control. He is familiar with every cell in creation and has been since before the dawn of time. And if there is a thing that is smaller than a cell, and scientists go on to discover a thing that is smaller than the thing that makes up the thing inside of the cell, and we don't yet have a name for that thing, God knows all about it. And that thing answers to him. There is no person or power or situation or thing beyond the sovereign power of Jesus Christ beyond the lordship of the Lord, hence why we call him Lord. And so James says in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Duh, yes, we all are. Well, let him pray. Ask the Lord to fix this situation. He's the only one who can. And James, pastor that he is, knows that sometimes the problem with pain is that you get trapped within it. And you feel so overwhelmed with all the little things or maybe one of those big things that you can't pray. That's precisely the problem you're in. I can't do it. Here is another way in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray. You pray. If you can't, call someone to do it for you. Why would you call an elder to pray for you? Well, the answer is that they have a working faith in the Lord. That's why you call an elder. So perhaps for you, what a working faith means this week is simply calling someone to call on the Lord for you. Perhaps the biggest thing you do this week is to get on the phone and ask someone else to get on their knees and to pray for you. And if that person agrees, or maybe they just outright offer to pray for you, ask them about their faith before you have any hope. It's not rude. Well, it's a little bit rude, but it shouldn't be. Ask them. If someone says, I'll pray for you, ask them about their faith. And if they have a faith, they'll be very happy to tell you all about it. Do a little bit of due diligence before relying on them. Ask them about their prayer life. Do they have one? Ask them what they live for. It's a good question to ask. Ask them what is the purpose of them 
Why do they exist? And ask how their faith manifests in practical ways. Say uh, to them, does God ever answer your prayers? And, and if God does answer their prayers, ask them for a testimony. Ask them to share a story of what God has done in their lives. Because remember, faith is not a head thing. Faith is not about believing an abstract thing to be true. Don't ask them to give you a bunch of theology. Ask them to show that they have applied their faith. Looking through this letter of James, we've just had weekly examples, week after week, of what it looks like to have a working faith. So many different examples of it. So ask them if any of the things in the letter of James are true about them. Do they love people and use things to advance the kingdom of God? Or do they love things and use people to advance themselves? Two of the biggest questions you can ask somebody who's going to pray for you is, one, do you pray? And two, do you give? Do you give your time and your money? And if they respond to you and they say, wow, you know, sometimes at night in bed I, I pray the Our Father, and uh, if I come to church every now and then, I put a hundred in, then I'm afraid you better pray for them, quite frankly. Because you have a broken leg or a broken heart, but they have a broken faith. And they're walking around offering to pray for people. That's hypocrisy. You pray for them. The word Lord appears in this passage, and it's significant because it's telling us he's in charge. He's the Lord. But it's also significant because it's telling us that he's in charge of us. He is our Lord. Ask them if they submit to the Lord of the universe. Because if they do, if they know the Lord, if they love the Lord, if they are in a relationship with the Lord, then prayer will be the most they can do for you. Because the Lord will listen. He will take that prayer, that prayer will take that prayer straight to the throne of the universe. And the Lord will hear it. It will work. James assures us, right here, chapter 5, verse 16, that prayer works. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I want to be really clear before we go on about what a righteous person is. Because we start to hear that and we start to think, well, that's not me. <laughs> so I guess I can't pray. And that can be quite discouraging. Douglas Moo, scholar, who is very rarely quoted on K-Love, says that, thank you, says that a righteous person is not some sort of super saint, right? A righteous person is, is not a ludicrous, once-in-a-generation hero of the faith. Pick your denomination. Uh, John Stott, John Wimber, John Piper, John Paul, any of the famous ecumenical Johns. It's not just the big names. It's not just your pastor. A righteous person is you. We're going to give you communion in a minute. If you're unrighteous, you will die. <laughs> yeah, let's hope no one does. Thanks, Frank. Righteous people are just anyone who believes in God. Anyone who submits to Jesus Christ as Lord is declared, spiritually speaking, as righteous. You might not have been righteous for very long. You can go from a wreck 
to righteousness in a split second. The minute you repent, you become a righteous person. Because the second you turn to Jesus Christ as Lord, everything changes. The second you turn to Jesus as Lord, he forgives you. And having forgiven you, he grants to you a new identity. And from that day forth, this new identity in Christ is so strong that when the Father looks at you, what he sees is no longer you and your sin and your fear and your shame and your guilt. What he sees instead, standing in your place, is his own son. He sees himself. All the righteousness of God is bestowed upon you by grace the minute you turn to Christ as Lord. Your sin is washed away completely. There's no residue. You stand righteous, and access is granted to you by the Father through grace as you stand there before him in power. You are righteous. Before you think this is just some crazy idea, you're like, I mean, you guys know me, but not everyone on the screen does. Who's this guy? What do you mean? How dare you say I'm righteous? You know, Mother Teresa, I know. Francis of Assisi, yeah, sure, okay. And a few other famous folk, but not me. I'm not making it up. It's in the Bible. And James gives an example to us of just how easy this can be to be a righteous person with a prayer that has power. Verse 17, Elijah, great hero of the faith. Like of all the people that I would not want to come into church it would be Elijah. Like, sitting, my heart would just be absolutely through the roof. You think, like, a bishop's visit is bad. Imagine Elijah turning up, hero of the faith. Like, he sets pagans on fire. He's awesome. Uh, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Just a bloke. A completely ordinary fella. You could walk up to Elijah in the pub, open a bag of pork scratchings, have a pint of warm beer, and say, all right, Elijah, How's it going? And he would have absolutely no problem with that. A normal man. Elijah could be your plumber or your doctor. He could teach your kids. In fact, this uh, nature like ours, which is a fine translation, and when you dig into it a little bit more, it's really talking about the feelings of Elijah or the passions of Elijah. In other words, he went through the same raft of emotions that we go through fear and pain and suffering and anxiety and, and, and lust and shame and all the human stuff, because he was a human. And he prayed fervently, and then the miracles came. Some of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament are done by Elijah, and he's just like us. Bullet point notes for you. This is the sermon in, in four bullet points. Ordinary man working faith, righteous identity, power of God. Ordinary man, working faith, righteous identity, power of God. It really is that simple. Look at the power that flows through a working faith. It says in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It's a really interesting word, save. I think James uses it deliberately. Save, so so in Greek, it can mean save. It can also mean rescue or heal. It's a very complete image. If you are physically or mentally ill, prayer can make you well. If you are trapped in a situation or in a sin, 
prayer can set you free. And it says here, the Lord will raise him up, will give eternal life through a working faith. It says if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. You're saying, well, I've committed sins, I can't be righteous. James says, well, they can be forgiven and then you will be. Through a working faith. So no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what condition you are in, you can be righteous through the grace of God. And in fact, you can become useful through the grace of God and start leading other people to that righteousness and start praying for them. I've found pastorally that some of the most righteous people I meet have at some time been just about the most unrighteous people you will ever meet. That the ones I really worry about pastorally are not the hardened criminals. The people that worry me the most are, are nice. Nice people terrify me. <laughs> people just nice enough and just comfortable enough to believe that they don't need God. Those are the people that worry me. It's almost impossible to get through to them until they suffer. So, find someone with a working faith. Maybe they've got a bit of a past, and maybe they don't think very highly of themselves. But find someone righteous, someone who loves the Lord. And when you find that person, you can talk to them. There'll be no judgment and no funny business. Verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Incredibly vulnerable image. I mean, you don't confess your sins to someone with a big, fat theological head, do you? It'd be awful. You want to confess your sins to someone who has grace. That the whole church, you see, one another. That's so cool, isn't it? We say, well, pray for yourself. If you can't do that, find an elder. But pray for each other. James is envisioning here a whole church that's on the move. The whole church is becoming prayerful. The whole church is becoming powerful. The whole church is becoming righteous. The vision of James is the same as my vision. And that is if someone says to me, how many pastors do you have at Christ Church Fox Chapel? I want to say hundreds. I want to say the whole church is pastoring one another and seeing the power of God. Now, it's no mystery to me that the happiness index in the West has decreased at the exact same time as faith has stopped working. Nothing about this surprises me. James describes this problem in verse 19 as wandering from the truth, from the gospel. Truth equals gospel in, in James. People have wandered from the truth that Jesus is the Lord. And they've wandered from the truth that he died for you to become your Lord, to grant you access to the power of God, and that you can return to him now, and that you can find hope in your suffering, and all of this not through some work of your own, but by grace through a working faith. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would rescue us from the situation that we are in. And if it's physical or mental, if it's a breakdown in a family or a distance between us that's physical, God, if it's something in our soul, some sense of guilt or fear, God, you are sovereign over each and every aspect 
of every facet of that situation. There's not one aspect of anything that is, that is outside of your control and your power and your knowledge and, and your care. So, Father, we confess that we have sinned and we find hope in your power. And Father, I ask that each person finishing up on this feed or, or leaving this room in a few moments would leave knowing that they have bestowed upon them the full righteousness of your name and full access to your power through grace, by grace and, and through a working faith. Amen.